All right, it's a little bit quiet in here. Maybe nobody got anything really wild, or else maybe you're just not willing to share it. Uh, to this morning, that we're going to look at somebody who received quite a unique Christmas present from, from God. Now, you know, we've been going through the uh, genealogy that Jesus of Jesus that Matthew has, has put out for us in Matthew chapter 1. And we've recognized that uh, typically you wouldn't put gals in the genealogy, though everyone's genealogy has many gals in it, in all honesty. But that was against the standard norm in, in uh, Jesus' day for Judaism. But Matthew includes five gals. And the p- people that he chooses, the gals he chooses, very unique gals. We recognize there's Tamar. And if you, you think about these, it, make, it makes sense. You've got, you've got Tamar. She's a Canaanite gal. She goes through a situation with, with men, and there's an out-of-wedlock pregnancy that actually ends up with the birth of a very special child. You, then you've got Rahab, the Canaanite harlot. Lots of men's going on there, I'm sure. Uh, but, but then she ends up married to a, a Jewish guy, and they have a, a baby, a child of promise. You've got the, the Moabite Ruth, uh, widow Moabite Ruth. She ends up getting married to an older Jewish guy that she proposed marriage to. Very unique story. Uh, but they have a baby, a child of promise. Uh, you've got Bathsheba, of course, her uh, affair with, with King David, and that's a very scandalous situation and a uh, baby that perhaps shouldn't have been. And, and then, uh, lo and behold, uh, through that situation, you end up with, with Solomon, a baby of promise. And now you come to the fifth gal that Matthew picks out, and that's Mary. Now, Mary, somewhat similar to the other folk, but yet different. She is, is not a widow, and she's not a, a harlot. She is a, a virgin. Uh, now, now, similar, though, she ends up with a baby uh, out of wedlock, a very scandalous situation. So there's, there's a similarity that's drawn there. And just as, as Tamar has her Judah and as, as Rahab has Salmon, and Ruth has Boaz, and Bathsheba has David, Mary's got her counterpart as well. His name is Joseph. Now, you know, Joseph is an interesting character when you think of Joseph. Because, you know, I've, I've seen lots of Christmas specials. Maybe you guys have seen a ton of them this year. I don't know. But, but they got Christmas specials on what? On reindeer, and on Santa Claus, and Frosty, and elves, and Grinches, and Scrooges, and little drummer boys, and wise men. But I don't think I've ever seen a Christmas special with Joseph as the main person. It just, does, it just doesn't exist. You know, Joseph is not as beloved as Mary, and he's not as intriguing as the wise men, and he's not as inspiring, maybe, as the shepherds. Uh, he just kind of is there. Almost like a prop, you know? I mean, even the, the dopey innkeepers got more lines in our Christmas pageants than Joseph. He's just kind of there. And, and sometimes we might think, well, that's just kind of a throwaway part, obviously. God just grabbed anybody and said, here, stand here and hold a staff and you'll work. You know, that's the deal. Um, but don't go down that road. God, don't, don't be thinking that way. Because Joseph's a little bit more important than that. I know when we were uh, looking to... To do up our will when we were, I don't say kids, but we just had bitty bitty babies of ourselves. We didn't have any money to live, leave anybody. But you're interested when you're young parents, right? Of who will get my babies if myself and my spouse die at the same time? And you got you gone through this, and you started going, well, they'll go to to my mom. Well, they're not going to your mom. Oh, okay. Well, they, they should go to my sister. I don't want my kids turning out like your sister's kids. And what about my brother? No, not your brother. Yeah, not my brother. You know, and you go on and on, and you figure out that you just can't die together because it won't it won't be good for your children. 
it's important that you get the right person, right, to raise your child. Now, think about this, because God is going to choose somebody who will raise Jesus, who will discipline Jesus, who will who will disciple Jesus, who will model for Jesus, who will care for and protect Jesus. Don't you think that God is going to not just pick a throwaway part? Anybody will, will not do here. This is a pretty big, big position th- that we have. Now, when, when you uh, give, me, give me an example, they're looking for a king in the Old Testament. Remember this? And so, so Samuel goes to Jesse's family and standing in front of this is a little bit of creative license, but I'm OK with this. Uh, and, and, and seeing before Samuel is big, strapping guy, you know, Ben Roethlisberger type guy, you know, big, four, six, four, five and 250 pounds and with the hair going. And he's just he's there. And Samuel's thinking, this is the man. If you're going to have a leader, you've got to have somebody that's going to strike fear into the hearts of the enemies. You know, this is this is the guy. But then God stops him. Right. And God says this. And first Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. You can keep adding to that list. Do not consider his appearance or his height or his education or his success or his physique, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. You've got to know when God chose someone to take care of Jesus, he was looking for something very specific. He was looking at his heart. If you've got your Bibles, I trust you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me Matthew chapter 1. So far as we've been going through the genealogy, every time we come across um, one of these, 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 these gals, one of these people, what we do is we look back into the Old Testament to their story. But as we come to Mary, we actually got to look forward. Just the next few verses tell her story. And it talks about uh, her counterpart, uh, Joseph. Let me give you just a couple of uh, things we know about Joseph. We know that Joseph was from the line of David, and that's that's huge. I think that's what Matthew's going to use his whole first chapter to go over. And we'll talk more about that later. But Joseph is from the line of David. Joseph is also a carpenter, we know. Now, it's interesting because the word for carpenter can also be the word for stonemason. He was a, a skilled craftsman. So let's just go with the traditional carpenter thing, though. But but he worked with his hands. He worked well with his hands. He could see in something of a block of wood that no one else could see, and he could get it to what he needed it to be. He was a skilled uh, person. Also, we know that Joseph was a pauper, because when in Luke chapter 2, when they bring Jesus, remember this for the dedication of Jesus, the law stipulates you're supposed to bring a lamb, but if you're dirt poor, you can bring two doves. And so Mary and Joseph bring two doves. They bring the, the, the sacrifice of paupers. Now, also, we know about Jesus, uh, Joseph, and this is going to be a little conjecture on my part, but that he is a silent, quiet, maybe introverted sort of person. And the reason why we know this is if you, you follow through Joseph through the, the text, what you, what you find out is he doesn't say a lot. Now, Mary, he's talking to everybody, right? She's talking to the angels and she's talking to Joseph and she's talking to Simeon and she's talking to Elizabeth. She's just talking. Blah, blah, blah. And you've got the angels and they're talking. And you got Simeon, and you got the wise men, you got the shepherds, and you got the angels. Everybody's talking. But Joseph, not a word in Scripture comes from Joseph's mouth. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting. Whenever Mary and Joseph get into a, get into a conversation as a couple, guess who the spokesman is? 
Not Joseph. Mary ends up being the spokesman for, for the couple. Now, don't be thinking, though, that Joseph is some passive, milk toast sort of guy. That, that's not so. Again, God chose him to raise Jesus. So let's, let's look at our text. Let me, let, me, let me read it for you. If, if you don't have the scripture, we're going to start in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's go through and just unpack this. This is such a rich, rich text. It's, 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 you can just keep going. You think you've, you've uh, uh, gone through all the research you can and then there's something. You just keep on digging, keep pulling the... the, the the onion apart, it just keeps, there, it keeps being more there. Verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And check out what it says here. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. No, hang on. Joseph, her husband, weren't pledged to be married. What are we, what are we, what's going on here? Well, let me back up just a second. Mary, a couple things about Mary. What is Mary? Maybe 13 to 15 years old. Mary is a very uh, godly kid. She's junior high age, right? And I'll get you there in a second. But let me read something from, from Luke because this is amazing. Mary, when she finds out she's pregnant with the Messiah, she goes and talks to her relative, Elizabeth. And as she's processing this, suddenly Mary breaks forth in song. Junior high, Mary, she says, she says this. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now, again, this is coming from the lips of a junior high kid. Top of her head, maybe top of her heart. And a couple of things we recognize for Mary is that Mary was was poetic. She was artsy. She she could she was eloquent. She could know where she's doing all this talking. She could string words together with expression and poetry and, and metaphor in a major, major way. She, but but not just that. She was uh, theologically mature in her thinking. You know, uh, this is called Mary's song. This is called Mary's uh, Magnificat. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I like contemporary music. I'm not opposed to contemporary music. Don't be uh, taking me wrong. But some of it 
can be just twaddle, right? I mean, just can be twaddle. You know, da 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 Jesus, da 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 Jesus. You go on and on, da da Jesus, and you like Jesus and all, but you go, man, can't we get a little more depth in that, right? But Mary's song, isn't this amazing? This is a junior high kid. And she's got, this thing is filled with theological complexities. And this is demonstrating quite the understanding of the Old Testament. Uh, Mary's not just theologically mature, but she has has an actual relationship with God because she can see how the character of God in here intersects with her life. He's been mindful of me. It's a junior high kid. It's amazing stuff. And you think, okay, a, a, a... Junior high kid, where did she learn this? She couldn't go to Sunday school. She wasn't allowed to go to to Torah school because she's a girl. So where'd she pick this up at? Well, probably home. Mom and dad. Well, mom and dad, would you think then that they're pretty godly people? Now, here's the deal. Mom and dads who are godly people, if you get to choose the spouse for your child, who are you going to choose? Choosing a godly person. I'm choosing a godly person. They're, They're choosing Joseph uh, not because he's into money, not because he's uh, Casanova, but because Joseph has got a godly heart. Now, that brings us to this, this deal where Mary's pledged to be married, and yet it's also called Joseph as, as her husband. Got to understand the uh, Hebrew engagement process, the betrothal process. There's three stages to this. The first stage is the arrangement. And that may have been made when they were kids. And either the mom and dad straight up did it, or sometimes they employed a matchmaker, you know, like a you know, marital headhunter person, you know, eHarmony, whatever the deal is. And, and they, they incorporate that. But, but the moms and dads put this all together. And sometimes the, I mean, the, the kids have very little influence on what happens. And this may be arranged when they're real little. Um, the, the bride price is, is agreed upon. Maybe a deposit is even put down. Uh, but then, then they keep going. Life goes on until one, as soon as the gal starts into puberty. And as soon as she starts into puberty, they enter into the second stage. Okay, this is, the, this is the, the engagement stage. This is the betrothal. At this point, they sit down across the table, and money actually changes hands, and contracts are drawn up and signed and ratified, and there are witnesses. This is a legally binding agreement. But the husband and wife, that's what they're called at this point, they won't live together. The girl goes back home still to her mom's house, and they take a whole year for the mom to kind of train up the girl. This is how you be a wife, and this is what's going on. This is how to expect... This makes sense, doesn't it? And, and they keep going. That. Now, during this betrothal period, they are officially, legally uh, married, even though they're not living together. If the guy was to die, the girl would be considered a widow. And if they want to break up for whatever reason, you know what? You have to go through legal proceedings to do it because this is an illegal, it's a legal arrangement. They, they, are, they are betrothed. And that's where we find Mary and Joseph. Now, the third stage is the reception, we would call it, the honeymoon-type stage. They have this massive party, and, of course, towns are pretty small at this point, and they all need each other, I mean, many of them, and they support each other, and they protect each other, so everybody knows each other's business. They're all one big happy family, and so when they have a party, man, everybody's there. And at that point, the husband and wife, they've been betrothed for a year, they move in together, and they start thinking about a family. Well, they're in the betrothed period here. That's what's going on. Now, it's interesting with, with Joseph in verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Uh, Scott McKnight, New Testament theologian, lets us know that the Hebrew word for righteous is Sadiq. And that what is spoken of here 
It's not just an adjective they throw in, but it's actually a category, a specific category of personages that very few people make it into. Zacharias was considered a righteous person and Simeon was considered a righteous man, but not everybody gets in. And so to be a righteous person, be in that category, what that is, is that is somebody, not Pharisee, but somebody who is committed to knowing what the, the law says and living their life purely by it. Everything they do is based on what the word says. They, they are blameless, according to breaking the law, uh, in their life because their life reflects the word. If you followed this guy around with a pen and paper, you'd be writing out the Bible. That's what, this, this, what, that's what a righteous person is. It's a deek. That's what, that's what Joseph was. Joseph was the kind of character then that, that every gal in town, every woman in town wanted him to marry their daughter. So when he got engaged, it's like he could hear all the hearts break. You know, he was this kind of guy that all the dads would, would pull their son around and say, look, Joseph, maybe you can be like him one day. A tzaddik, a righteous man. Joseph was the guy whose the town would make no decisions without consulting him first. Joseph's opinions were reflective of, of, of God's. He was, his reputation was such. But, but Joseph was a Sadiq. He was a righteous man, but he was a righteous man with a problem, wasn't he? Because his fiance shows up pregnant. And he knows that he's not the dad. So what do you do with this one? What a mess. I mean, this is not good anywhere, right? But especially in a small town. Oh, man, what are you going to do with this one? So as a Sadiq, what's the law say? What's the word say I'm supposed to do with this kind of a situation? Well, the word is pretty clear. Deuteronomy 22, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. Now, side, this is a real side point, but this, is, this has intrigued me even this, this, this week. Um, you got a girl in a small town who ends up pregnant. He's not going to tell anybody. Her mouth is closed as far as who the dad is. And so what do they do? They have all the men in town. I mean, they're all got to be there. They show up, give them all a rock. And you know good and well that one of those guys standing there holding the rock is the dad. I mean, this is very interesting what that does to this guy's mind and what, what, what's going to proceed from there. So that's what Joseph was supposed to do. Now, now, Rome controlled the area, so there wasn't a whole lot of stoning going on. Uh, they could, but, but it wasn't very, very common. But what Joseph would be called upon to do at the very least would be to uh, repudiate publicly his errant fiance. There was to be a trial for adultery. And the, the, the marriage was supposed to be terminated. It was all done. It was all over. Now, you've you got to know that this is a, a hard deal for Joseph to, to handle, a hard deal for him to, to walk through. And I, mean, I don't know, have you ever been betrayed, especially on this level before? What? You know, my, my sister, when she was at Moody, and there's no sign on Moody, no reflection of Moody, just so you know. But she's at Moody, and she's three years older than me. She brought home this guy one day called uh, Gary and whatever his last name is. I don't, I don't know, and I probably don't have to say it anyhow, right? Uh, Gary, though, uh, was kind of a suave player sort of guy. You know, he dressed right. He had the right car. He had the right swagger about him. You know, he had the playboy kind of mentality. You know, my sister was swooning and the rest of the family was, ah, you know, because he had the right thing. He could say the right stuff. And we saw right through this guy. Something is wrong with this guy. But, you know, he she told me that they were talking about marriage and all this kind of stuff. And 
Uh, one day at Moody, though, she comes across a gal from the other side of the campus who uh, was also in a real intense relationship with this guy, talking about marriage. And as they talked and shared, they just happened to, their boyfriends both had the exact same first name. Yeah, you know where this is going. They also just happened to have the exact same last name and the same phone number. And so as these two put together their notes and the notes that were sent them, they cried a lot. And then they decided they were going to confront him publicly together. You know, there's there's just something about that that goes, yeah, you know, vindication is so nice, isn't it? Now, Joseph, a Sadiq, who had been betrayed, but look how he responds. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to go the public route. Now, it's interesting that they, the way the text really looks is, is this. It says, Joseph Bean. See, see the bean? That's a participle, and that can be translated several different ways. Your NIV will translate it like this. It's going to translate it causal and say, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. And it's almost equating the being righteous with being compassionate and kind. Because Joseph was a good old guy, because he cared for people and he was nice, he didn't want to go down that road. That's kind of the way it's looking. But it can be translated, not in a causal sense at all, it could be translated, although Joseph was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had a mind to divorce her quietly. Even though he knows what the law says. Even though he's supposed to bring Mary out for public humiliation, he knows that, he knows what the law says, and even though he knows what the law says, and he's a Sadiq, he's supposed to do it. He doesn't want to do that. Now, this really is a, a, a depth of character, isn't it? It is so rare. And when you see this, you almost want to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Somebody who has the opportunity to publicly, and not just an opportunity, by the law, publicly humiliate somebody who has hurt him so, yet he doesn't want to do that. There's a, there's a character there that I can only wish to attain to. He was a, a, a righteous person who didn't want to uh, expose Mary to public disgrace. Verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you think Joseph would be afraid? No, there's the law thing. Now, there was a, a, a provision to do it silently, and he was he was grabbing hold of that one. But I think a key reason for his fear is in his loss of reputation. Because, again, according to the law, if the baby is not yours, the marriage can't go forth. It has to be terminated. And so for but now if it is yours, then you've got to pony up and accept responsibility and apologize and all those kind of things and marry this gal and make it right. So you see what's going to happen if Joseph marries this gal. What's he telling everybody? My fault. I'm the, I'm the dad. Now, he can give them the story about the angel and all that kind of noise. But listen, would you believe that? Joseph didn't originally believe this. Dad, your, your, your teenage daughter comes home with a story and she says, you know, don't worry, dad, though. No guys are involved. It was an angel. 
Now, do you buy that? Do you buy? Oh, it's an angel. We're cool, man. No way you don't buy it. Well, Joseph's not thinking, and he knows that people aren't going to buy this either. And, and you, you know what this, this means for Joseph. He's, I think he knows what this means. That from this point on, all the, all the women's hearts in, in the, in the uh, town, they're going to be in, in huge fear because they thought that monster may have gotten near my daughter. All the dads are going to pull their sons aside and say, listen, Joseph, don't be like him. What a hypocrite. This guy's driven by his passion. I mean, if you think about this for a second, the two, Mary, Joseph, when they're in the betrothed period, they're hardly ever together. Uh, they would never be together alone. And when they, they are there, they're clothed with lots of clothes. So there's no such thing as an accident and got out of control. And we, none of that. It had to be an intentional. We, we, we were intending to, to break the law and and down Jehovah God and disregard everything that our people stands for. That's what it would have to be. And that's the reputation Joseph would have. From this point on, guys in town, are they looking for Joseph's counsel? Oh, absolutely not. He's a hypocrite. He fooled us all. But we know really what's driving him. Uh, from this point on, nobody would consider Joseph a tzaddik. Except two. Nobody else. His reputation was, was gone. It says, you will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Again, the angel's talking to, to Joseph. And this is, this is fantastic. They talk about the identity of the baby a little bit. Um, when she gives birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua, means uh, Jehovah saves. Now, get this. You're going to call him God saves because he, Jesus, will save. See what the angel's doing? Angel's straight up saying, this baby is God. This baby's divine. And then verse 22, I know the uh, punctuation in your Bible, the quotes are gone. But remember, original, there's no quotes. Carson believes 22, D.A. Carson believes 22 is part of what the angel was saying to Joseph. And it makes sense. Uh, he would have said, all this took place to fulfill. This has happened, Joseph, to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be, he's quoting Isaiah here. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is, this is, this is fascinating to me because the Sadiq is really concerned with what does the Bible say? And here's this angel saying, and Joseph, one more thing. The Bible says this. Isaiah. The virgin will be with child. Yes, yes, Mary is still a virgin. That's not, this is what the Bible has said. And it's amazing. After Joseph gets this, what he does is he goes and does what was commanded of him. Now, now don't, don't lose this. Because Joseph has got pain and confusion and emotional turmoil. And then the angel quotes scripture. And when Joseph hears scripture, I'm not so sure all the questions have gone away. Matter of fact, there are probably more questions, right? How does a virgin birth work? And how in the world are you supposed to be God, our father to God? How does that work? You know, lots of questions. And I'm going to lose my reputation still. That was never fixed. But he now has courage to do what he was supposed to do. I ask myself sometimes, uh, Mark, you blow off your time alone with God. 
perhaps that time in God's word, God was going to give you strength and the courage to obey. And if you blow off that time, then you know what? You're going to miss having the strength and courage to do what you're supposed to do. This is why we do the, the, the new uh, year's challenge. Because our time in God's word, it's not just clock and time because good Christians do that. Because God uses our time in his word if our heart is right. To prepare us to do what he wants us to do, to give us courage and direction to do. And because Joseph is hearing God's word, he now has the courage to do what he's supposed to do. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. The inference is that they had normal uh, marital relations after Jesus was born. And he gave him... The name Jesus, that that last line, no, not a throwaway line. There's no throwaway lines in God's economy with Scripture. What Matthew's letting us know is that Joseph, from the line of David, is adopting Jesus. Jesus is divine. Joseph's not the biological dad, but he's adopting Jesus. Why that's important is because you received your lineage rights through the father, Luke's going to let us know that Mary's from the line of David as well. But you did not receive lineage rights through the mom. But you always did through the dad, even in the case of adoption. If I'm a king and I adopt a peasant kid, well, the kid can now become the crown prince because he's my son. He receives his rights through me. Likewise, because Joseph adopted Jesus, Jesus is considered from the line of David. Now, Draw some applications on this thing, and there's a lot. This is a very, very rich passage. I think one of the applications is character, not reputation, or character versus reputation. It's real uh, common, isn't it, to think, I am unworthy. And, of course, we are. But, see, when we stop there, we don't give room for God's grace and God's power. I am so unworthy, see, that God can't use me. And if there's one message that comes through with even the people, the gals that he chooses for this, the Tamars and the Ruths and the Rahabs and Bathshebas, is, is that God uses those. Now, it's important that we understand reputation is what people think of us. Character is who we are. And sometimes the two are joined. We are good, godly people. And people recognize that. Yay! But sometimes what happens is, is we're not so good, godly people, but people think we are and we kind of... Uh, protect that don't we and we keep the facade up because the reputation is so important they got to think i'm cool they got to think i'm something so we know i'm a mess inside spiritually i'm a wreck i have doubts and i've just i've got the sin i got it but i've got to keep this facade up that is a terrible way to live that's a a very tiring way to live life And what Matthew would say, I think, or an application of this text is what people think about us is so secondary. The issue is character. Look what Paul says in Galatians. This is huge. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Are you, let me ask you, are you in a quest for reputation Or are you in a quest for character? Because God will make sure that you and I both have our quest for character and quest for reputation. They're going to lock horns and we're going to have to choose. And too many folk choose, sometimes I've chosen, the reputation over the character. We need to be on the quest for character. 
what God thinks of us. Another, another application, I think, is uh, substance. We'll call it substance, not, not fluff. Uh, God's gifts. The gift God gave Joseph that first Christmas was wrapped in pain and was wrapped in emotional turmoil, was wrapped in a degree of sacrifice and loss, and it came from God. God said, here you go, Joseph. Oh, thank you, God. Just what I always wanted, right? Uh, now, now, here's the deal. With I, when I was a kid, maybe you never, maybe you have never seen these things. There was a toy out called the Whirly Bird. Now, a Whirly Bird was this thing. You had these little controls. You moved it, and a helicopter came up, and it moved around. It picked stuff up, and it just looked like the cool. The kids on TV were playing with this thing. They were having the greatest time in the world, and the marketers had the box just looked so cool. People were smiling. It was wonderful. I thought, this is just an incredible thing. So I bought it for my brother for Christmas uh, because I was going to play with it. But, so it was, it was just fantastic until you got it out of the box. And it was cheap cardboard, and it was didn't work. And you were like, not you were like cursing and throwing stuff. You weren't having fun like they were on TV. It was just, it was not a, a, a good expense, uh, a good use of your money. But so many of our gifts down here are like that, are they not? We want it. It looks good. It looks fantastic. It just, it just, we know for sure if we get her, if we get it, if we get the job, whatever, life will be fine. And maybe we get that, and it's just not so fine. Uh, I think it's George Bernard Shaw said one of the greatest tragedies in life is to get what you want because you realize it doesn't satisfy. God's gifts are not like that. Sometimes we reject his gifts because on the outside they're wrapped in pain and they're wrapped in hard things. We want to reject them. But to accept them, to embrace them, will have eternal significance. Now, you know, Joseph sacrificed a lot. He sacrificed his reputation to, to take on this task that God had for him. And you've got to know, I, I mean, I wonder if there were days he came home saying, I wonder if it's worth it. You know, I lost another job today because my people are still thinking that I'm, you know, this, this loose guy with no morals and I don't care about God. And then he gets home and the toddler Jesus toddles up to him and raises his arms and Joseph picks him up, and then he takes his little pudgy toddler hands, and he holds Joseph's hairy face in front of him and says, I don't know how you'd say this in Aramaic, but, Daddy, love you. Don't you know that at that point, any thought that I wonder if this is worth it, I mean, it's done. The Son of God. When he's 10 years old, and maybe people have ridiculed him and hurt him, and, and Joseph takes him and puts, him, puts his arm around him and tries to encourage him, and Jesus says, Dad, I love you. There's no question at that point in Joseph's mind if this is worth it. The gifts that God gives us often are wrapped rough. But, but in the end, the, the result is so eternally significant. A man named, named Kimball, feeling pretty uh, inferior. He wanted to make a big impact for God, but what could he do? He was just a Sunday school teacher, right? Uh, he goes to uh, one of his kids. He did care for his kids. One of his kids in class, he went to visit him where the kid was working in a shoe store. He got him in the back room, and he explained the gospel to him. He said, have you ever committed your life to Christ? And later on, the kid would say, at that point, he says, I've been to Sunday school, I'd heard it. But no one ever confronted me personally. And it was like, wow. So he committed his life to Christ. Well, that was D.L. Moody, Dwight Liam Moody. 
Dale Moody goes on to be an evangelist. He goes in 1879 to England. He has this massive crusade. One of the guys that come to his crusade, a pastor from a small church, just beat up, ready to hang it up, ready to quit. He sits there and he listens to Moody, and he's inspired. And he's renewed spiritually. And so he goes on crusades himself. He's in America, and he's working with college students, and he leads a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord. And then Chapman starts working for the YMCA. At that point, it was really a Christian organization. And Chapman hires a guy by the name of Billy Sunday, who was a Chicago White Sox ball player, came to know Christ. And Chapman hires him and says, listen, I need an evangelist. Would you, would, can I hire you for that? And he says, absolutely. Well, then Sunday goes to North Carolina and he leads these revival meetings. And when Sunday leaves, the whole town is so enthralled. This is incredible. We've got to do this again. So they bring in a guy named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham is preaching a revival meeting, and a little boy is there. And a little boy comes forward and says, I want to give my life to Christ. And the little boy's name is Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has shared the gospel face-to-face with 12 of our presidents. And his association says that 3.2 million people have come to know Christ, or profess Christ anyway. Over 2 billion people have heard the gospel through Billy Graham. Now, if you back up, what would have happened if Kimball would have said, you know, I want to do something more. I want to do something important. So I'm not even going to go out of my way for this one little stupid kid. You know, God's gifts have eternal significance. And Kimball doing exactly what God called him to do, as little as that looked, but he was so faithful in it, he changed the world for eternity. That's our God, the way he wants to work through us. So this, this Christmas, let me ask you. Can you relate to a, a, a Tamar or a Ruth or Rahab, a Bathsheba, maybe a, a Mary? Maybe you grew up in the church and life is good. You're not, I mean, you're a sinner and all, but you're not a hyper sinner. You're, you're okay. Yet God wants to use you. And as we talk about the unlikely faces of Christmas, let me throw one more in here. That's your face. Because Jesus wants your name, of course, in his family tree. Is it there 